the sermon this morning is from Psalm 77. And uh, may I request us all to stand up again for a minute, please? Uh, I think it will be beautiful if we read this psalm together as a church. It will come up for us on screen. Uh, I'll read the first verse, you all read the next verse, and so on and so forth. Uh, it's a slightly long psalm, 20 verses, but I think it will be beautiful for us to read God's word together as a, a church. Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. When I remember God, I mourn. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, you leave and tremble. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you're wondering what this word selah means in the psalm, it quite literally means pause. Uh, pause and ponder the word of the Lord. That's, that's what it quite means. This is one of the many psalms in the Bible where the psalmist cries out in great faith and in great anguish but doesn't hear back from God. God was silent in this psalm. Uh, I'm quite certain that we've all prayed earnest and faith-filled prayers but have heard nothing back from God. What do we do when God does not answer? That is the theme of this psalm and, and that is the theme of this sermon. I'd like to draw three things out for us 
from the psalm. First, we will all face the silence of God. Second, our emotions when God does not answer. And third, our hope when God does not answer. We will all face the silence of God, our emotions when God does not answer, and our hope when God does not answer. Let's look at the first. We will all face the silence of God. Asaph, a worship leader in King David's time, is the author of this psalm. And look at what he cries out in verse 1. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. Two things are very obvious from this very first verse. First, Asaph is in great distress. And second, Asaph has great faith. His, his crying out to God tells us that he is in great distress. But secondly, him saying, God will hear me in my turmoil tells us that Asaph has great faith. And yet, despite his great faith in times of trouble, God does not answer him in this psalm. There is no mention of God responding to Asaph's prayer, Asaph's prayer in this song. We will all face the silence of God at many points in time in our lives. Look around this church. Look around any church. There will always be people who are faithful to Christ and are yet in anguish for many years even. Every church will have people who have been faithfully praying for a long time and have yet not heard an answer from God. Every church will have singles who have been praying for years, saying no to, to dating or getting married to people who do not believe Jesus, and yet, despite their faithful praying and faithful waiting, they are yet to hear from God. Every church will have people who are married but are going through difficult seasons in marriage. And they've been praying faithfully, and yet there is no relief from God. Every church will have couples who are praying for children, and yet have no answers from God. Every church will have single parents who are crying out, Why? Why, God, have you allowed this? And no answer from God. Every church will have people who go through sicknesses, and we pray, we pray in faith. Sometimes God miraculously heals. Sometimes He doesn't. People who love Jesus, who believe in Jesus, do die of sicknesses. Asaph's cry of dereliction in the psalm is therefore very relevant to us. It's relevant to us because every one of us, we will face the silence of God at many points of time in our lives. I would even say this. You have not grown spiritually if you have not lived with the silence of God in some seasons in your life. King David went through a long season when, when he heard only silence from God. So many Psalms, David cries out, God, where are you? Why are you not answering me? Moses spent 40 years hearing nothing from God 
God was silent for a long time through Job's enormous suffering. In the depths of his suffering, in Job chapter 30, verse 20, this is what Job cries out. He cries out, God, I cry to you for help and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. That's Job chapter 30, verse 20. For roughly 400 years before the birth of Christ, God did not speak anything to his people. Between the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and the time when the angels came and announced the birth of Jesus, God was silent for 400 years. Listen, we have not grown spiritually if we do not know what God is speaking to us in his silence. As we look at the silence of God, I do want to qualify what I mean when I say God is silent. I need to qualify the statement because we are a pampered generation with a ridiculous sense of entitlement. And so if I come to church once a month, if I hardly ever read my Bible, if I hardly ever pray, And the moment my boss gives me a little bit of heartache, I cry out to God, God, where are you? Why are you not answering my prayer? Why are you loving this? Uh, Don't be surprised if you can't hear God. It's not that God is not speaking to you. It's not speaking to us. It's just that our souls, our hearts, are so tuned in to hear the voice of the world that we no longer are able to hear the voice of God. So when I say silence of God, that is not the silence this psalm is talking about. This psalm is not talking about God's silence or seeming silence to people who are indifferent to him. This psalm and this sermon is talking about the silence, the silence of God that faithful followers of Jesus do and will experience. Like Asaph, there are people who love God, who serve God, who live in the truth of the gospel and yet have been waiting for years even to hear back an answer from God. Look at verse 3. When I remember God, I mourn. The very thought of God is flooding Asaph's heart with sadness. God, why are you not answering me? He moans. Have you been in this valley? Have you walked with the silence of God in the valley of suffering? Have you walked in the silence of God in the valley of suffering? That's the first thing that I wanted to draw out for us from this psalm, the silence of God. The second thing I want to invite us to see from this psalm is our emotions when God does not answer. Our emotions tend to freak out when we are faced with the silence of God. Asaph, as is obvious from the psalm, he experienced a roller coaster of emotions. And there is a moment in the psalm that you can see that he is angry with God. Look at verse 4. You hold my eyelids open. Visualize that. When someone tells you, you hold my eyelids open, what does that mean? 
you hold my eyelids open. God, Asaph is telling God, you're not letting me sleep in my anguish because you're holding my eyelids open. Pretty strong words. And then in the second part of the verse, he's experiencing the very same verse. He's experiencing great sadness. I'm too distressed even to pray. He cries out to God. Many years ago, uh, my dad fell from the terrace of our home in Chennai. We were in Chennai. And he, there was almost a second floor. He fell down. His, his head hit the compound wall uh, of our home. And he suffered severe brain damage. He was in the ICU for two months. And he was in critical condition. Uh, for two months, he was in almost a coma kind of a stage in the ICU for two full months. And I still remember vividly that the nights I would spend nights in the hospital in case there was a need. I would lay down, I would kneel down right outside the ICU. It was a public space. I was unashamed. I wasn't feeling awkward. I would kneel down outside the ICU and pray. I would weep and weep and weep and pray. I would plead with God to save my father physically and spiritually. Days passed. Weeks passed. Months passed. Years passed. My dad remained in a vegetative state, never speaking a word for years before he passed away. We prayed, Aji and I, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. Aji and I, I remember, once fasted for 40 days, eating no solids during the day and only eating uncooked, an uncooked meal at the end of the night, uh, end of the day, maybe a fruit or some vegetables. We fasted and prayed with much faith for God to save him. Aji and I, we walked in the silence of God. We walked with the silence of God in the valley of our suffering. And we only love God more because of it, not less. I speak of these days, those days with composure now. But in those days, Aji and I, we were emotional wrecks. We couldn't figure this, we couldn't handle the silence of God. Why is God not healing our, our father? Why is God not telling us anything? And this is an emotional psalm. For Asaph, his pain in the silence of God becomes so unbearable that he explodes with questions of hopelessness in verses 7 to 9. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? You know, if the 20 verses of the psalm uh, were stretched out like a bedsheet with four people holding the four corners of, of the bedsheet, these three verses, verses 7 to 9, is like a 100 kg rock that's thrown in the middle of the bedsheet. Just like a bedsheet that's, that that's, that's stretched out would sink under the weight of the rock, this psalm is sinking under these questions, under the weight of these questions of anguish and doubt that Asaph is crying out. Has God forgotten... To be gracious. 
this is not a struggling Christian praying. This is the worship leader of God's nation, Israel, praying. You see, the Psalms not only give us permission to express our raw emotions in God's presence, the Psalm invites us and even coaches us to express these uncensored emotions to God. The truth is, whether you express these emotions or not, God knows everything that's happening in our hearts. So so all the pretense is, is pointless. We might as well admit to God what he already knows is happening within our hearts. Tim Keller says, the Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. Many Psalms give us the doctrines of the Bible wrapped in frail human experience. The Psalms teach us what to do with our emotions when God seems silent. The Psalm tells us that in such moments, we are not to fly above our emotions, ignoring them. We are not to sink in our emotions, being overwhelmed by them. Rather, we are to walk through our emotions and move through our emotions toward Christ in prayer. Verse 10 in the psalm is, is quite hard to translate. If you read five different versions, and I did, of the Bible, they all kind of interpret it differently. I, I did a little bit of reading up, and I kind of figured that this is perhaps uh, the best way to render the original text of the verse. Verse 10, this is how it should read. This is my anguish, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. This is my anguish. The psalmist, Asaph, is acknowledging his emotions. He is walking. He is not flying above, this, above his emotions, ignoring it. He is not sinking in his emotions, being overwhelmed by it. But he is walking through the emotions. He is walking through the reality of his emotions toward Christ. This is my anguish. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Verse 10. That's what Asaph did. That's what we are to do with our emotions when God seems silent. How did Asaph bounce back? Verses 7 to 9, those are bleak questions. But if you read, we move towards the end of the psalm, you see hope, you see joy, you see transformation. How did Asaph bounce back? How did Asaph, who in verse 9 cried, has God forgotten to be gracious, turn around in verse 13 and say, your way, O God, is holy. How is desperation turning to worship? Through the psalm, God does not speak a word. God remains silent all through Asaph's suffering. But Asaph went from utter hopelessness to a place of unshakable trust in God. How did this transformation happen? That brings us to the third thing I'd like to draw out for us from the psalm. A hope when God doesn't answer. A hope when God doesn't answer. As he walks through the silence of God in his valley of suffering, Asaph remembers two things. In verse 6 he says, 
let me remember my song in the night. Then in verse 11 he says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. The first time he remembers his song in verse 6, it only plunges him deeper into doubt. Remembering his song only leads him to those five hopeless questions that we saw in verses 7 to 9. Has God forgotten to be gracious? But the second time in verse 11, when he remembers the deeds of the Lord, everything turns around completely. Asaph is filled with hope. He is transformed. Asaph has gone from utter hopelessness to unshakable trust in God. What happened? What changed? The first time Asaph remembers, he remembers his song. He is seeing God through the lens of his personal experience. The second time, in verse 13, he is remembering and seeing God through God's deeds. What deeds of God is Asaph talking about here? What deeds of God is he seeing? Later in the psalm, we see that he is talking about the exodus. The time when God's people, uh, Israel, was enslaved in Egypt. And how God led them, God delivered them. They walked through the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea, saving, uh, saving Israel. When you read the second part of the psalm, psalm, you know that this is what Asaph is referring to in that psalm. But these deeds of the Lord, the deeds of the Lord that Asaph is talking about, happened roughly 400 to 500 years before Asaph lived. If this happened 500 years before Asaph lived, how on earth did Asaph know about it? And how on earth is it bringing faith into his heart? From where did Asaph hear about the deeds of the Lord that happened 500 years ago? From the word of God. Asaph heard about the deeds of God from the word of God, from the Bible of his time. You see, the, the Pentateuch are the first, or the first five books of the Bible written by Moses was the word of God at that time. These five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the five books of our Bible, and maybe the book of Joshua too, was the Bible in that time. That was the Bible for God's people. That was the word of God, the written word of God for God's people at that time. And Asaph found unshakable faith in God when he reflected on the deeds of the Lord mentioned in the word of God. When Asaph read the word of God, the spirit of God, I presume, came in made his heart come alive to God's word and built within him a faith in God that his personal experience was unable to bring. That his song, even though he was a worship leader, what his song, even though he was a worship leader for a nation, could not accomplish, the word of God and the spirit of God accomplished in his heart. When he meditated only on his song or in his personal experience, it was not enough. It was inadequate. But when he meditated on the word of God, he soared to a place of absolute trust in God. You see, only 
personal experience is not enough. We need the word of God. God is never silent even when he seems to be silent. God is always speaking to us. He is speaking to us through his word. If you are saying, God is good because he gave me three promotions in five years, and my personal experiences of being blessed by God, that's what gives me faith in God. If you're saying, God is good, I believe in God because he's given me three promotions in five years, the year you get a poor increment, which you will, I can assure you, you're not going to like me for this, but it's going to bound to happen. The year you get a poor increment, your faith is going to fail you. Your personal experience alone cannot sustain you. But when you read, meditate, and pray through God's word, and see that God has been gracious to his people, even when he seems silent, through every trial, that will sustain you. That will sustain us. There's one more aspect of Asaph's transformation in this psalm. In verse 6, if you remember, Asaph says, he remembered, I remembered my song. This is perhaps some individual reference. It's his, it's personal, it's just him. But in verse 11, when he's remembering the deeds of the Lord at the Red Sea, what he is remembering is not an individual experience, he is remembering a communal experience. Israel did not cross the Red Sea as individuals, one by one, alone. It was not a solitary crossing. No. They crossed the Red Sea with God before them, even though his footprints were not seen as the psalm tells us. They crossed the Red Sea with God before them as a gospel community. You see, your problems are not your own. Your struggles are not your own. Your temptations are not your own. We live in one world. A fallen world that is crying out to be redeemed. And so as God's redeemed, those redeemed by Christ Jesus, we are called to be the body of Christ and walk together through the valley of, of suffering. A mere individual experience of faith is not enough to sustain us. All of us also need a communal experience of faith. So let me ask you this. This past year, have you lived by your song or have you lived by God's word? This past year, have you been flying solo or have you been growing in community? Every one of us, every one of us, we will experience seasons where God seems to be silent. We cannot thrive and flourish in these seasons apart from God's word and apart from God's people. I would even say that in some seasons, God seems to be silent so that we would seek him even more through his word. That is the point of the silence of God. The point of the silence of God is that we would, go, we would know God even more intimately through his silence. If you see, 
couples who've been married for long, long, long years, they don't always have to speak to each other. Their silence speaks to one another. And so it is in our relationship with God. The point of the silence of God is that in and through his silence, we would only draw closer and more intimate with God. And so if we are not reading the Bible daily or or reading the Bible with any level of consistency, we are going to struggle. Our personal experiences is not enough. God has already spoken through his word. And his written word of God, the Bible, illuminated to our hearts by the Holy Spirit, is the primary way in which he speaks to us. If we shut our ears and our eyes and our heart to this primary way in which God desires to speak to us, we will struggle to hear it. If, if we're not enjoying God's word with any level of consistency, we must not fool ourselves into thinking we are mature Christians. We are mature followers of Christ. We are not. We need to grow. You know, as a pastor, every time I exhort people uh, to read God's word, uh, people get crushed. Because the truth is, and I know it, it's hard, isn't it? How many of us want to read God's word daily, but struggle to read it? And how many of us don't want to read God's word daily? I've come across very few people who don't want to read God's word daily. The majority of people... I talk to are people who want to read God's word daily but are struggling to do so. So you could respond to this exhortation in two ways. You could respond by feeling like a failure. You could respond to this exhortation this morning by beating yourself up and say, I have failed for the last 15 years to read God's word. I am such a failure. I have no hope. I don't think I'll ever get better. You, you can speak that into your lives or you can believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead and gave you his Holy Spirit to help you to enjoy Christ through his word. You can believe that Jesus delights in empowering you to enjoy him through his word. God experiences pleasure in his heart when you draw close to him, when we draw close to him through his word. So in closing... How do we find the faith and the strength and the perseverance to walk with God in the valley of our suffering even when God is silent? Sure, Asaph can teach us a few things. He's taught us a few things already in the psalm. But Asaph cannot empower us to live this out. The only one who can teach us and empower us to live faithfully even in the silence of God is Jesus, the Son of God. You know, if you look at the Gospels, the accounts where the life of Jesus is given to us, the four accounts, if you look at the Gospels, you will see that Jesus began his ministry in the silence of God and Jesus ended his ministry in the silence of God. Soon after his baptism, just before Jesus began his public ministry, he was led into the wilderness 
where he was tempted by the devil. And during the period of his temptation, the 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, there is no biblical record of God the Father speaking to Christ his Son through these 40 days of temptation. And Jesus, in his temptation in the wilderness, in the silence of God, Jesus overcame the temptation of the devil by quoting God's word. Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. And the tempter came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones and become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was quoting directly from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, the same book that Asaph had read when he remembered the deeds of the Lord. And in this time, in those 40 days in wilderness, every time the devil tempted Jesus, God, his father, remained silent. God, his father, did not intervene in that moment. But Jesus overcame every temptation by quoting the word of God. Jesus began his ministry before his public ministry in the silence of God, 40 days, being tempted. Jesus also ended his ministry in the silence of God. On the cross when Jesus was being punished, not just by Roman soldiers who were crucifying him, not just by the Jews who were taunting and mocking him, on the cross when Jesus was being punished by God, his Father himself, for every one of your sins and mine and the sins of everyone who would believe in him, When Jesus was bearing the punishment for our sins upon himself, in his dying moments on the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus' cry of dereliction was infinitely more profound than Asaph's cry. And yet, God remained silent. Jesus got no answer from heaven till he gave up his life as a sacrifice of atonement to pay for all of your sins and mine. Jesus began his ministry in the silence of God. He ended his ministry in the silence of God. Psalm 77 verse 9. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? The only one, the only one who could rightfully ask this question, the only one who could justly ask, has God forgotten to be gracious? The only one who could ask that question is Christ himself. And because he was forsaken at his point of greatest need, we are accepted. Because he was punished, we are justified and free of condemnation. And after Jesus laid his life down, and as after he rose again from the dead, just before he ascended into heaven to be with his father, he's left his disciples with these last words. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. And behold, Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age. God is always with us, even when he may seem silent. Because of Christ, we can have faith that God is always with us. God is beside us 
even in seasons when we have to walk with the silence of God in the valley of our suffering. Let us pray. Father, we pray, even as, even as we are here, Lord, as a community, your local church, and even as we submit our hearts and our lives to God's word, would you come and fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might learn to draw closer to you even in your silence, and even in your silence. Help us to grow, Lord, that we might humbly discern what you are speaking to us, even when you are silent. Draw us to you. Lord, we want to pray for people who for years, maybe they're here, maybe they're not here today, but there are people faithful followers of Jesus. Faithful followers of Jesus, loving you, serving you, who've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Draw near to them, Lord, and help them draw near to you. May they grow closer to you, even more intimate with you, even through this long season of silence in their lives. And for the rest of us, we pray, help us, Lord. Help us to draw closer to you in every way, through your word, through your community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.